Hey everybody, this is Dave pretending to be Chris again because Chris is out hiking in Alaska. So it's my job to open up the show and tell you about our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Galvanize. Galvanize helps you level up your coding skills. We'll talk more about it later in the show, but head over to galvanize.com slash dev and use the code shop talk for $250 off Galvanize's part-time course. And today's show is also brought to you by CodePen Pro. If you're not a pro, go ahead and click that little upgrade my account to pro button because it is worth it. There's lots of hot features and Chris will tell you all about those later in the show. But for now, hey, myself, let's kick things off. Shopper Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about your front ends on your websites. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Yep. And the blurry lines that is front end. We've had so many shows that are like, I don't know, they're about front end stuff, but then they can be about design and it touches on back end stuff. And really, you know, what is web design and development these days? Very hard to pin down. Maybe we'll get a little closer to or maybe it's not even worth defining. We'll just be defining it by existing as a podcast. You know, we're part of the wheel of life of the web. I don't know. That's what too if heady. we're what if we're like just a fantastic ride, ride, slippity slide. That's probably the it, most accurate. Out. That's the most accurate way of describing it. It's it's hard to get too heady because you just you, the more you think about it, then all of a sudden your fingers are going like Command T, and then you type Medium, and then you click New Post, and then. All of a sudden, you've blasted out a think piece. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is a rapid fire episode. We're going to do lots of lots of question on answer action, as we say. Uh, no guess, no drama, no nothing. We're just going to get right into questions because that's really fun, and I like answering questions with my friend, Father Dave. Matt James writes in. Dear Shop Talk, I've recently started using Gulp after a long time on GUI building tools. Oh, that's interesting too. I wonder if he means like a like a like a code uh, kit. It's called code kit. Yeah, things like that. Or if it was like a custom like web based one or something. Okay. Anyway, he's on Gulp. I was wondering how you handle your Node modules folder on a project by project basis. Do you set up a new Node Node modules folder for each project and install Gulp and all the plugins you use each time? Also, recreating your Gulp file, or do you move the folder and Gulp file around as needed and remove it from each project when you're finished? Uh Cool. Um, I I think this is a good question. I, I it's because it's really not super clear if you're just getting into it, right? It, no, it's not. I don't think so. I would I would treat your just as a rule of thumb, Matt. I would treat your note. I would never move a node modules folder from one project to another. That seems like bad news to me and isn't necessary. So tr- treat that thing as like a is like you don't even see it. Like definitely like ignore it in git, you know, like treat it as just like this folder that just like is magical and it needs to be there but you never touch it. 
It's just a like black a, box. A black <laughs> box. Never mess with that thing. Just let that thing sit there. And in fact, you can delete it if you want to willy-nilly. It does need to be there, so you'll need to then, if you do delete it or something just feels wrong with it or whatever, you'll need to type npm install again, and then it will come back and, and do its thing. So it needs to be there, but yeah, don't move, don't move that thing around. Uh, your your so the the, full, the file that's actually more important than the gulp file here is the other what is manifest.json package.json that's kind of the important one that's when you type npm install it reads that file and it makes this whole it downloads all the stuff that goes into the node modules folder so that one's really important and then your gulp file is just it, is what is telling gulp what to do and i also would i would never delete that like if it's set up for a project just leave it there just leave it there uh, and if you're starting a new project and you kind of like where the last project was headed or the type of stuff that was going on i certainly wouldn't i would feel free to grab the package.json probably from another project and the gulp file and move it over to a new project in the new project then type npm install uh, you may want to pop open that package.json and be like, do I still need all this stuff for this new project? Does this new project need all of this stuff? If it doesn't remove it kind of thing, then type npm install again and you know be clean with that. And then open up that gulp file certainly and be like, is this all the stuff I need to be doing in this project too? Uh, and if it is, great, keep it there. If not, you know, change names as needed, change directory instructions as needed. Those things are reusable, but don't bring the node modules folder with you. That That's kind of a, should probably be freshly installed in each new project. Mm-hmm. I, I, you got you to think of it as like these gulp files and package.json. These are, uh, these are the portable versions of the big kind of folder the 75 megabyte node modules folder. yeah uh, you just you just take those to pr- different projects and then they kind of just they run the commands and kind of build things out although with like gulp file and like you were saying chris you might want to just cruise through it and see if you're doing everything the same chances are you are doing things the same but every once in a while there's few differences so um, you know, gulp file from yeah. project A does not fit into project B because something's still a good boilerplate. You know, at least you don't have to like remember how gulp files are structured and stuff. It gives you a good starting pace. Is cool. Uh, you know, this may not be a perfect analogy, but you know, if I if I I don't know, I'm working on a little Mac app and I want to send it to Dave. Do I send him the Mac app or do I send him a full copy of OS X to and or a full copy of Windows and the project I'm working on? You know, you don't send the operating system along. And it, in, in some way, the node modules folder is kind of like the OS in which your project runs. Not a perfect analogy, but you know, you don't you don't you don't need to send that stuff along. They're just dependencies. Okay, John McGray writes in, what does he say, Dave? Hi guys. <laughs> Sorry, John. I give you just the worst voice. Hi, guys. What are some outside forces? No, I'm gonna quit. What are some outside forces that cause web browsers to not render their web pages properly? I could not find definitive answers or in troubleshooting page rendering oddities that could be caused by, say, accessibility tools, browser plugins, or even concurrently running OS Windows programs that could affect what you see in the browser. Uh, seems like an off undiscussed topic online. I think you're right about that, John. I think that is not discussed that often. And in fact, it's it's discussed in my life through CodePen because, for example, somebody will write in and they'll say something's broken on CodePen. And one of the first troubleshooting things that we have to have them do in which to get a good answer for their situation is 
can you please open Code Pen in a in a in a what, what are the different versions of it? There's incognito window in Chrome. I think it's called a new private window in Firefox. I think all the major, but what is it in Edge? I'm sure there is one. Porn mode. No, it's just <laughs> That's it's just called it private. Yeah. Yeah, private, private. window. <laughs> That's great because it doesn't add to your browser history and all that. But the other thing it doesn't do is run any of the like extensions and stuff that you can add on to browsers these days. I know I run, I bet I run 10 or more browser extensions in Chrome. I can list them to you right now. I have one called Nimbus that's for taking screenshots of the browser, and I like it because it can scroll and stitch together a, a thing. I think it works really good. I use Live Reload. I use Ghostery so I can handpick uh, things that I want to block on websites. I like Ghostery for that reason. I use Bitmoji because it's the proper way to express yourself. There's Google Hangouts in there. I use the Print Eliminator, one that I worked on for deleting stuff for print. I installed one recently, the GitHub Omnibar for jumping around that site. I have way more. I bet I have over 12 now, and I like them all, but they do affect, they have like God mode control over websites. They can insert stuff, they can block stuff, they can do all kinds of stuff that is not a level playing field. When Dave loads shoptalkshow.com and I load shoptalkshow.com, they're kind of different because we were in different browsers with different things running as extensions in those browsers. To give it a, a fair playing field, we'd really, it's nice to load it in a private window to see what's going on. And it happens happens all the time at CodePen when somebody's like, oh, sorry, yeah, I was an ad blocker. Or, you know, oh, I run some weird thing that was was interfering somehow. So that's what I think what you mean, John, by outside forces. And yeah, I, I haven't read a lot of articles saying about that. I think the most common way is like, when you're when you're trying to diagnose something, remove as many of those outside forces as you can. Uh, before diagnosing, but that's not you know that's that's not reality. These aren't all bugs. These are this this discussion could happen for you know media people, for example, being like, how do we know people have X, Y, and Z generally installed? How do we how do we handle and think about these outside forces that uh, affect websites? What do you think, Dave? I I've noticed uh, with accessibility tools, Google's accessibility tools. I would for the longest time I would you know open up Web Inspector in Chrome, and there would be like four hundred errors or something, and I'm just like, God, what happened? Who who broke in and like broke my website? What's going on? And it was the the plugin had problems like it was using a deprecated api and so therefore it just was triggering triggering more and more and more and more and more and i i just was like man that's really hard it's really hard to find out what's happening because i'm having you know it's firing off you know 100 http requests to this site you know or something and, and so you're there's a lot of of just added cruft. And and I think these are actually the reasons, you know, browsers kind of slow down is because they have all these, you know, kind of third party things that are, have varying degrees of, of good code. And they're just kind of burdening things. Um, another from like a web development perspective, one thing we ran into recently was our gravitars weren't loading like mm. user account images through gravitar and weren't loading. And it was like, well, this is a bug. I get a bug in the GitHub. And it turns out it's because Ghostry or something is blocking Gravatar. A third party or ad blocker is blocking Gravatar. And okay. You spun your wheels on it, even though it really had nothing to do with you. Right. Not my fault. And what am I supposed to do? With it? Like, I give zero 
zero cares. Web developers are almost the worst at this. We get lots of, you know, because I'm sure you do too. A lot of the incoming support requests we get are from people like us. They're, you know, I you hate to label the average user, but they're not kind of the average user. They know they build websites themselves. And they're just as bad at, at at reporting requests of things, not realizing that they're running AdBlock Plus or whatever. And they'll be like, "Why doesn't this site work?" And be like, "Well, it's it's literally blocking one of our assets. I don't I don't know what to tell you. And I I I don't want to like dance the dance, you know. I, I don't want to like try to trick AdBlock Plus into not blocking stuff. I kind of just want to be like, you use that stuff. You're on your own. I use it too. I just told you I use Ghostry. Uh, and, and once in a while I am perplexed by that. Like I'll, I'll go to somebody's site and for, for a minute was blocking, um, the, the popular AB testing thing. What's that? Oh, uh, Optimizely. Yeah. And I like Optimizely. I used it the other day for a thing and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. It was blocking that and, you know, so they have JavaScript that runs, that runs either A or B. And apparently if you block that, it wasn't showing any button at all. I was like, okay, (laughs) well, that's not good. Uh, uh, I don't think that's the norm for Optimizely, by the way. I think it was probably just set up weird or inconfigured. I, I think it should just be how your website normally is without uh, that. So as long as you have a button there at all, I think you're probably doing okay. Uh, so that one was weird. And like sometimes I'll click a Facebook login thing, realizing that I've blocked the little Facebook login, the little Facebook social button things. Cause I, I just don't really use those. So I'd like the page to load faster instead. That's what I like about Ghostry. So sometimes I'm just about to fire off a tweet when I'm like, oh, shoot, let me check that quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is weird, right? From a web development perspective, what are you supposed to do? I mean, progressive enhancement, I guess, but like, am I progressively enhancing every avatar on my webpage or anything that could ever be third party? Cause it's not like a, a no script. Yes. Script or yep. Nope. On, on, does it support JavaScript? It's like some script works. So what, like, what's our job? Should we try to make it always work on everything or should we, you know, just give up and be like your fault. You did a thing. So tough cookies. I don't, I don't know where the line is. Yeah, it's tough. That John, why don't you be the expert on this and and write the definitive piece on outside forces in 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 browsing the web today? I think that would be fascinating. I think that'd be a right good talk. It would be a very good talk. Uh, James Harder writes in. I'm just getting started in web development. I've heard a lot of people say that jQuery isn't as essential as it used to be. Is that true? And if so, what are the new features of JavaScript that superseded the features of jQuery? This is interesting, isn't it? It's like we talk about this stuff sometimes. I think there starts to be a refrain, like a, a zeitgeist or, or, or something in the in, in the world of what people are talking about on the web. And it, I wonder if it's occasionally dangerous and that people would be like, ah, jQuery's over. I've certainly done it. I, uh, as much as I love jQuery and as much as I've, you know, I, I r- still defend it and still use it on most of my sites, there is kind of a... A, 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 a time that it feels like that probably won't be the case anymore. And like, so now James is just getting started out and clearly having some confusion of should he be reaching for it or should he be, should he be like ignoring it like some other people are or, or like where should, where does James fit into this, this discussion? And that's weird. Yeah. Um, so we got in trouble the other day uh, because we said things like Bauer and Grunt were maybe on the chopping block, quote unquote. Yeah, we people did are, get in trouble for that. People were mad we... at us. So uh, 
what I, I guess what we we are saying is, you know, whether they're not being actively maintained or or there's kind of just enough zeitgeist or kind of uh, sort of I don't know, sort of like cultural pushback to something or or kind of that's sort of what I mean when like it's on the chopping block. It's, it's sort of like, you know, I don't see, I kind of have a pretty good pulse on things and I don't see a lot of people recommending this or using this or gravitating towards this. So that's sort of what I mean. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's dead and, and there's still, no, certainly not. I mean, you know, like I don't know. I just I just got off the uh, a Code Pen Radio episode where we we're talking. You know, some of the things came up that affect a lot of the internet. Somebody said that Cloudflare now is like is like handling like twenty percent of the internet. It's this ma- major CDN and other services thing that just is everywhere. We all know WordPress powers this like massive chunk of the internet. You'd think that jQuery is involved in probably twenty percent of the internet too, if not more. So it's not like it probably should be in the zeitgeist, but it just isn't because it's just developers are weirdos yeah don't get me started on cloudflare got <laughs> got some opinions there uh well mostly just like it solves a lot of problems and like why is hey, why is it the best solution for everyone's problem anyway uh so back to jquery i think i think jquery is is still useful like it solves something like in the neighborhood of like 500 different weird webkit bugs which right. you wouldn't expect like it's WebKit. not just that it provides a really lovely syntax to get started with you know it's like, i still prefer that syntax yeah but nice. what what's happened i guess in the last you know 3 to 5 years is is some features are being brought back into JavaScript and namely document query selector where you can query any selector. That's a big one. And the like the query selector all object creation syntaxes and the loop syntaxes and stuff. There are things that jQuery made easier that aren't as necessary anymore. That's what you're getting at, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. That there's been a lot of of kind of native features and in, in how you bind events, even with IE eight mm. kind of disappearing. Some of the you Ajax know, stuff with fetch and stuff, mm-hmm. promises. You need, yeah, you need a lot less s- syntactic sugar from jQuery because a lot browser core browser features are now s- kind of right. Taking that I wonder if that, that will be a thing. You know, if jQuery really starts to fall off a cliff, I wonder if they'll release a, a version that's kind of like all the syntactic sugar of jQuery without, you know, the, at like a quarter of the size or something. I don't know. I don't know if they ever will or not. But then there's also things like, okay, James, I'm sure you've heard of like React and Ember and stuff. They don't hang out with jQuery. It's like not that's not as clear as it should be probably but you don't use react and jquery together you just don't it's not a good look it's not not even a, it's just not necessary like if you tried to bound it's a, a belt cl- and suspenders it's just not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> but worse it like it would be like it would be like wearing a belt and suspenders and if somehow those that still made your pants fall down or something yeah, like they go. they you latched the suspenders onto the belt but forgot to subs- the belt to the pants. Oh God, this this is a bad metaphor. Always take metaphors to their maximum extent. Yeah. Like if you try to attach a jQuery click handler to a button, React doesn't care that you did that. And it will it will be free to pull that to rip that thing out of the DOM, re-render it, whatever. Like it just doesn't it might, it might not have the same attributes on it and stuff. It has its own event handling system. They're not friends. 
don't use them together. And so, James, if you're like, well, I, I, I learned a little jQuery and I like it. Oh, I learned a little React and I like it. It seems tempting to be like, oh, I'm going to use the best of both worlds here. And you can't do that, uh, unfortunately, with that with that particular combination. So it's kind of like a, I don't know, if you if you really are loving the React thing or something, go for it and 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 leave jQuery behind. If you if you don't and, and and prefer just like sprinkling in a little jQuery to do the things you need to do, don't be afraid to do that. It's tough. It's tough. I don't know what to say else about it. I think we've well, said enough, probably. So James is just getting started. I think I missed that part. Um, to that, I would say, just enjoy jQuery. Do use it on everything. I don't don't listen to haters. Maybe uh, go overboard. You're new. Just go overboard on the jQuery because it, it it makes it a lot. It makes JavaScript a lot less threatening than than it maybe kind of is. Um, so I, I would use that. If you have a good understanding of CSS, that's basically the design of jQuery is to make people who understand CSS be able to use JavaScript. So um, super recommend it for that. Um, okay, next question. Calvin Juarez writes in, can you talk about the exit intense bounce conversion thing? I'm talking about that thing when you're about to close a website or mouse out and it pulls up a dialogue with some call to action, usually an email newsletter or sign up form. Uh, here's an example. Exit intent.io has a demo click to see it. In action. Uh, is anyone else upset and annoyed by this or am I alone? Okay, well, there's a couple things at worst here. Let me, I kind of want to see, see it in action. Move your mouse outside the browser. Oh, gosh. Okay, so it's, that's weird. I didn't, so I it must know, like, it has like a, a whatever, a hover thing in the top left that knows you're going to a back button, right? Or, yeah, it's basically window dot, you know, the, you know, the uh, global thing on before unload, I think it is. Yeah. And and it and it's seeing like oh they're leaving this website I'm gonna fire off basically an alert that gives them some kind of confirmation that they're gonna do this or not do you really want to leave this website that is a native JavaScript feature that anybody can write and use the browsers uh, added it and the reason they added it is because for example I'll imagine you're on CodePen.io and you're uh -huh. making a new pen and you've spent an hour on it and you haven't saved it because I mean. <laughs> for various reasons, we don't auto-save your pen the first time. As soon as you have saved it once, we do uh, try to auto-save you. We can't auto-save every second. Anyway, long story short, there's a situation in which you went to CodePen.io and we're typing away and typing away and typing away and made a demo. And then you know, what if you just hit Command-W and it just is instantly gone? That would suck, right? So we don't allow you to do that. We put an on-before-unload handler that says, you haven't saved this. Do you want to like maybe stay here for a minute and save it and then leave? And we have all the evidence in the world that that was a good idea. You should definitely have that. We have it, and we don't. We try to be very careful with it. So if you have saved, we remove that handler. You're free to close it if you haven't changed anything or whatever. But as soon as you've changed something and are working and there's unsaved changes, we have that there. And that's kind of what I was thinking is that some websites use that. And because that's like necessary to exist on web and browsers impl have implemented it, anybody can use it. And you can use it for bad reasons if you want to. You can use it to, to have the pop-up message be like, wait, you haven't signed up for our newsletter. 
And that sucks. But I don't actually see that all that often. Most often I see like you load up an article and then through some other action it throws up a modal and says you should get our newsletter or you should look at the new Ford car or whatever. Then this X and intent thing that you linked to was like if you mouse out of the browser at all, it tells that your mouse has left and then pops up a modal. Which is weird. Yeah. It's like just because my mouse left your screen doesn't mean I'm leaving your website. It's so strange. Uh yeah, I I find any kind of marketing version of this to be very aggressive and dumb. I just like, yes, Forbes, I'm trying to leave. Like I read the thing. I don't want to give you money or some I'm picking yeah. Forbes, but kind of the danger of a B testing in a way. I think that's what people get mad about is that like, okay, if you do this on your website and you a B test it to see if you get more newsletter signups, you're going to get more newsletter signups. But like right. that's not the only metric you should be measuring. The other metric is: are, did you annoy the crap out of everybody else? Right. Yeah. Right. I think it just—it's like uh, it's—I mean, it's a, kind of the classic like doorman, door-to-door salesman who like sticks their foot in the door so you can't close it. Like it's just like just just I'm done talking to you. I have this problem. The University of Texas calls me and they want to have. They, I timed them last time. They, they're asking for money, but they want to have a seven-minute conversation before they like do the money pitch. I think it's probably something like, you know, people who are this farther down the funnel, you know, this time funnel have a greater conversion or blah blah blah. But this oh, last, really? They've, yeah, you think they've figured out that at seven minutes is the optimal time to ask, and not at minute two? Because if you ask at minute two, they're turned off and. Yeah, I think they have like some data again, you know, and I I just the last time they call me every six weeks, but the last time they they called me, I just was like, hey, I'm busy. Like, is this a thing for money? No, I can't like do it. Like just I had to be rude and they were just like, okay, totally understand. But uh, how are you doing today? What do you want? Tell me about this time you were like in college once. And I just, ah, so it's this thing. It's, it's like. I think anytime it's it's this like try to get something from the user, I think you really start burdening users and they start having a bad like experience. Your click rate may be great, but like you don't have happy people. It's you know, I, I just I don't like it. So I, yeah. I hope you aren't using it on your website, dear listener. But I don't know. It, I think it's bad for users, probably decent for business. I wonder what the conversion rate for the for Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you think they have some data on that? How many households they convert? That would be like like how this parallels. I, well, here's another thing: had a vacuum cleaner salesman, literal vacuum cleaner salesman, come by my house, yeah. and uh, my wife, uh, bless her heart, wanted <laughs> like her art wanted the demo just. Cause she was really like, Hey, if they vacuum and like shampoo vac my rug, like I'm down. Oh, this she's is- trying to exploit the vacuum sales. <laughs> yeah. Very clever. And I mean, weird. it was like, all right, fine. Like, it's okay. It's like some Sunday, like whatever, like let's do it. Um, and, and her whole thing was just like, let's, let's just get the rug shampooed. Cause it'd be great. The dog barfed on it. They were there, Chris, for four hours. Four whole hours. They she they, they vacuumed my dog at one point. They changed my light bulb. Did you buy the, the vacuum, vacuum or not? No, I did not buy the vacuum. Oh, they were there for four hours, and it was a well, no. Were they? Did yeah. they just storm out? Were they so mad? Uh, I think no. It was very pitiful how they left. But that's that's a story for another day. But it was basically 
they they came in and they're like, this is a $3,500 vacuum. How much would you pay for it? <laughs> it's like, well, not like that much because that's like a car. And then, you know, and then they like come down like to a tenth of the price. And it's just like, well, I don't know what it's worth now. So anyway, I don't care. That's, yeah, that's the how the story is. Dramatic. Yeah. I had like a, when I was in Florida, I had like a, one of those ADT dudes come by who's like selling a and I fucking told him to his face I was like I am not gonna buy this from you today but if you'd like to come in and give the pitch I am kind of legitimately interested in what these home security packages are like so you can come in and you can tell me but I, I'm telling you to your face right now I am not gonna buy one today this is for research only and he spent I don't know 30-40 minutes with me on the thing and and I and then I was like well me remember what I told you at the beginning of this thing I'm not buying anything today and he was so personally affected he couldn't have been more angry with me to this day i'm still pissed at adt if anybody from adt is listening i don't like you it was really <laughs> really rude of this guy to to behave the way that he did at my home after i was very clear about my intentions you know anyway i, I think that's the thing i think people think if we just get them on the hook just a little bit more yeah. make it a little harder for them to weasel out they'll give in and i don't Calvin wrote, Calvin, the last sentence of your question is, is anyone else upset and annoyed by this or am I alone? You're not alone. Although a door-to-door salesman slightly different than a mouse-out action, it's in the same vein. James Hammond writes in, hi guys, I was recently working on a website for a local drugstore. It was a legacy project. I inherited some interesting custom grid styles. It wasn't bad, but I found myself having to modify the grid when it came to adding some margins to the inside columns. So so display widths down to the exact right pixel. I initially used calc in CSS to calculate the width that I wanted. So he had a column for or whatever that was that was 33% and then it looks like he he made it the width uh, instead, calc 33% minus 22 pixels. So we wanted it to like basically be what it was before, but sub- subtract a fixed width uh, inside kind of margin to it so the grid still lived up probably. Anyway, I'm not sure. But anyways, I realized, well, this method may work fine on my MacBook with its latest update of Chrome. It may not work well in older browsers. Well, that's good thinking, James. Uh, well, it is especially bad if I considered the demographic of people who would use a drugstore website. <laughs> well, good point. Maybe a little reaching, but you know, uh, I take your point. My question is: Have you ever used Calc before, and when is it okay to use it? Uh, in a general sense, what are most methods that won't look like an, an older browser is okay to use? So, you know, you want to use Calc, and you're worried about browser support. What's the browser support for Calc, Dave? Do you know it off the top of your head? Uh, I think up to IE eight, and then there's a weird Opera Mini man is an Android browser, but Android's more or less replaced by Chrome, uh, to like from a, a global usage. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's it's Opera there's Mini. A, there's Android a couple browser. outliers. Android Mini to this day is your point, like not even some old version of it, but like it doesn't support it even now. Uh, Opera Mini, yeah, no. Still doesn't support it. Android, no. UC browser in the Chinese browser, no. So, uh, that's um, that's, that's a bummer. Pretty bad. That's, yeah. Yeah. If you go to the uh, can I use and and type calc or go to calc and then do click usage relative, kind of relative to browser stats, um, and you could put your own stats in there uh, to see how bad a shape you're in but um oh this is a nice view I actually didn't even know that they had this view as much as of the millions of times i've been to can i use the usage relative view is really cool 
kind of better. Like, and you can import your own stats. You know what I'm saying? So right. that's cool. Hook it up um, to your own Google Analytics, and then and then this isn't global statistics. It's your own site, which is that's extremely cool. But stupid. still, there's a big you know UC browser is a big deal, right? And it's a big chunk on here because because it's a big chunk of global usage, and that would be mm-hmm. so ten percent you're looking at maybe of not of of your calc stuff not being useful. Yeah, I mean, you know, for your local drugstore, you probably don't have a lot of it's also you know, a mobile Chinese thing, so and Indonesian traffic collapses on mobile, so maybe it's not a big deal. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I would, I think, like I would probably go for it. I've used Calc before. I just kind of went with it. Um, you you got to know kind of how it breaks. Um, I one thing you could do is if you wanted to be like super pro about it, you could probably throw it in a at supports query, like mm-hmm. at supports calc or can you do a the- function at supports, a function. I know you can't do an at supports, another at supports thing. Ooh, I learned okay. that today at supports, at supports. <laughs> well, you can't add supports like at apply, which is the new uh, CSS like mixins thing that's dropping. Oh, okay. Um, I think you can do calc because it's basically just like, can you like, does this evaluate to something is sort oh, of like the okay. Boolean. Um, and it's weird. Apply wouldn't work, but okay. Um, so I think you could do that and then like write all your calc, you know, modifications inside of that. But that's going to be a lot, a lot of kind of, I don't know, like extra code for you. I always do with calc. I always used to do just like put the, the same declaration right before it without calc. And in this case, I'd make it just like a percentage that's lower. So like in a browser that doesn't support calc, at least whatever percentage you put in there with, with them all added up, it doesn't equal a hundred. So maybe it's like a kitty wampus grid, but at least it doesn't like break. It ends mm-hmm. up being 93% wide or something. I used to do that for old IE. Yeah. Like you just like, you just like, you have like an IEA prefix and just shave a number off. And so it's smaller. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. Like these problems don't need to be solved right next to it. You can always rock the IE style sheet. You can always do a modernizer test. You know, there's lots of ways to handle un, un, unsupported browsers kind of thing. And, but then it's like, then it's like if you really are tripping over yourself to get this to work with that, well, the way that you wrote it in that be, you know what I mean? Like, can you just, can you just write it in old, old school way and then just, have it work across everything. And that, like, that may be the best solution is just the one in, that in which case, way. what makes me think of is just use Susie. Susie does all this hard math stuff for you and it does it in an old school floats based way. So like just rock okay. that, you know, and you pl- plop calc into Susie and it, you don't out. need calc in Susie cause it does all the calcy stuff, you know, like it does all the hard math for you. Uh, I mean, okay. prerequisite, yep. you got to use SAS. So, I mean, that's a dependency okay. that I, it, we, we should be careful about as a, you know, as a journalistic front end development thing. It's easy to just be like, just use Suzy, which is like drops, a, you know, that's no shortage of dependencies there. But a lot of people use SAS. So, if you happen to use it, check that out. I think that would be a way that you could get away with this. It, it seems like maybe a better way to go than like taking a column system that already exists on your site and shoehorning some calc stuff into it. It seems like that that worries me a little bit about the longevity of your system, but I think you'll be okay. James, good luck. Today's show is brought to you by Galvanize. Are you ready to take your coding skills up a notch? Because Galvanize is there for you. Galvanize uh, 
teaches you programming skills and problem solving techniques companies are looking for when hiring developers. Uh, a lot of graduates from Galvanize go on to work at, as full stack developers, QA engineers, front end developers, and even product managers. You need scholarship or financial aid? Well, that's available if you qualify for it. They, they can help you out and uh, they've got an amazing deal for Shop Talk listeners. So head over to galvanize.com slash dev and use the code SHOPTALK for $250 off Galvanize's part-time courses. That's $250 off for using Shop Talk. There you go. I, I mean, you might as well just get started today and level up your career. Sebastian Sayer writes in, I'm studying online media at HS of Furtwangen in Germany, uh, and I'm in the process of searching for an interesting topic for my bachelor thesis. Mm-hmm. I would love to do something in the world of front-end development or UX design, but it se- but seemed to struggle in finding the right topic for me. As you are dealing with these kinds of topics on a daily basis, I would really be interested in your take on this whole thing. Do you have any recommendation for exciting ideas that could be the topics of a thesis in so these thesis, fields. Thesis. Aren't thesis is usually like the effect of of the northern winds on Norwegian frogs in the Southlands yes. stuff? Yes. Right. They have like a really specific weird topic. I have so you a, couldn't do it on just like websites. No, no. It has to be kind of a like you're trying to carve out a niche for yourself. What's your a book apart? <laughs> book yeah or uh but uh yeah i have a friend who uh carrie ann she did a uh like like multicultural people on social media like in an act like did like stats on like if you speak two languages what's how do you present yourself on facebook it was very interesting it was just kind of like you know most people are I might do English or something just to be kind of a broader audience or they might, you know, use their home, you know, native language or something uh, for different purposes. So it's very interesting. Um, That would be good because you could dig up data on that certainly or just interview a lot of people and learn something. That seems like a tempting topic for that because there's no like wrong answer. There's not like, there's not like a rabbit hole that you won't find the end of. Which I would worry about some stuff. Like it's it's different than a journalism. Like I have this like be in my bonnet kind of to like to do like an expose on like the underbelly of 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 tracking and stuff. You know, you and I have talked about it a little bit. Like, can we I wanna see a nasty dashboard that exists at some like advertising tracking company that's like that like exposes like what they know about some audience or some 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 place where you go buy ads and you buy ads from like from like dads in Austin that like kombucha or whatever and it, and Dave Rupert just like pops right up on there or whatever because you because it meet knows. some guy in an alley and and you hand him my private key well it exists <laughs> like they're like everybody's so afraid of tracking and stuff right but nobody's like like where's the interview with the bad guy where's the expose on 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 the the actual bad results of this tracking stuff. People just are like, tracking is bad. I don't like it. I block those things. 
But like, where's the where's the man in the mask? You know, so I would be tempted to do that. But that that you could, you know, maybe it's such a well guarded industry that you try to do your thesis on it, you don't get any good information, and you never finish your thesis. You know, so that would be a bad. I think m- more interesting would be something like performance or something like do a really good unbiased study on the effect of some aspect of performance or something. Yeah. I mean, there's uh what's uh Tim uh, Cadillac's site about web WPO, WPO stats, I think. Um, that's too bad. Cause that's just like, Oh, a lot of people have done this thesis already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it's kind of, you could, there's a lot of good, decent data there to kind of aggregate, you know, um, things uh you know there's there's uh, uh what what were we talking about earlier dark patterns like what what is the conversion rate of dark patterns and is it worth it in the long run you know uh, if you, you there's a whole, whole websites about all the dark patterns and ux and and things you know and maybe it gives you a 22% conversion but was it worth it did the business go out of you know did they go out of business <laughs> probably not but what what is the, you know what does that mean um what uh, here's another idea. How long does it take to make a website? That would be awesome to know. Yeah, that's <laughs> 30 such a years question, into my career yeah. here, <laughs> or 20 years into my career, I just I don't know. Like you could interview a bunch of of companies and try to get this, and like what's what's like an ongoing maintenance? Like 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 what's it actually take to build a website? I don't think anyone has like quantified that. Like or got an average. You don't need to quantify it per say but like get an average of of how many hours were scheduled how many hours did it go over you know was was all the work performed was the client happy are they you know is there a recurring sort of system going on i think that would be very very helpful um yeah that that's you know that's that's about all i got I, <laughs> right now hopefully that's helpful um i i yeah i, I think anything that you're kind of like does this really do this would be a, a good course of study. Well, you're very interested in it too. It's not just something that Dave or I is interested in, you know, ask people and does it seem intriguing? You know, I'd probably roll with that mostly for your own enthusiasm of the project over time. You know, hopefully it's not something that you burn out and you're like, I don't even care what the answer to this question is. Yeah. Hopefully you literally do care. Yeah. I mean, I'm about to like mentally I'm preparing myself for a journey down like web security, just cause I'm just fascinated by kind of how much I don't know. Um, so I I'm, so that's something too. Like, I mean, is there something you want to study? And Oh my and- God, I could go off on that. You know, there's these, it's so, it's almost like hurt by web security researchers. They almost like make it le- less secure because there's people like CodePen where we're like, Hey, please, we'd, we'd love to have some kind of fair way to learn about web security problems. And it's so mired by people that, that send in these like emails that are just like, this is extremely important. If you don't respond to this right away, the world's going to go on fire. I just require a thousand dollars to tell you what this thing, you know, it's like, it's turned into this like weird racket and like, like script kitties and, and like, it's just a mess. And like, but the best researchers deserve everything, you know, they're amazing. And like, and, and, and and whatever, it's just, I, that's a whole nother show. Uh, Matt short writes in, I have a blog on coding. I'd really like the way some blogs like CSS tricks. Thank you. Display code as if it were from an IDE thoughts on how I go about doing something similar. How do you do it, Dave, when you need to post a code block? 
Uh, so I just do the code block, um, but Prism.js from Leveru is is uh, really Great. nice. It's like seven kilobytes or no, two kilobytes minified and gzipped, um, which is just amazing. I mean, I I really like it. It adds just enough syntax highlighting, but it's not it's not like a uh, ooh it it's not like a super specific syntax highlighter it's just kind of a basic and that's kind of what right matt what dave's talking about is it's just a library that you run and any and you can tell it oh hey all pre-code blocks on the site i i want to uh it basically goes through and adds spans to it with classes on it and then you can use those classes to to style uh colors and different styling for those spans so it looks syntax highlighted that's what that is and uh, that's what makes it look like it's from an IDE. That gives it a very nice touch in, in blog posts and stuff. We're so used to looking at code blocks like that in our code editor of choice. So when we're reading a blog post or something, we almost kind of expect it to, ha- to have that kind of look. And Prism is a great way to do that. Uh, uh, you can, if you use GIS on GitHub, you can post the code in a GIS and embed that, and then you kind of get that for free. You don't have to write. It ends up being in an iframe or something. I'm not actually. I don't think it is in an iframe. I'm not sure how it works. It's a little like self-contained capsule of of code in there. Uh, we offer embedded pens on CodePen. So if it's a block of code that's either it's in one of the front end languages, that works out pretty well. Um, there's there's you know, a variety of of ways you can do it, but yeah, it, it is a nice touch. And and if you, and, and you know, make sure you semantically do it correctly, though. You know, you use pre, which stands for pre-formatted text, so all the spaces and tabs and stuff are maintained as you paste that block. And then usually you put a code tag inside of it because it's usually not just pre-formatted, but it's actually code as well. There's a code tag in HTML that says, "Hey, this stuff in here, it's code." So usually those blocks are both pre and code, and just I don't know, just go to Prism.js and look at what it expects of you. Which uh, usually it requires you to tell it what language it's going to be, so that it can apply the right language to it. And Prism is two K, but it's also like it has a bunch of cool add-ons. Like, do you want you know uh, the ability to highlight particular lines? What languages do you intend to highlight? If it's every language on Earth, that style gets a little bigger. You know, do you need you know? line numbers, stuff like that. Uh, it's a very extensible. It's really, really good. It's not the only kid on the block, but it tends to be the one that's reached for because of uh, how fast it works and how small it is. And, uh, the- Highlight Highlight.js is another one. Um, that's kind of what GitHub Markdown uses. So that's nice. I've heard examples that will do it on the server side as well, which I think is kind of cool because of the, these ones that happen on the front end, well, great. Then it loads, and then you know your JavaScript is probably asynchronously loaded or or at least delayed loaded, and then it runs, and then the spans get added, and then the colors show up. It's not entirely rare to see a you know flash of unsyntax highlighted code on websites. So it's kind of cool when it comes down from the server with the spans already there. Uh, so that's I haven't seen that explored as much as as I'd like, but it, that's a it's a possibility. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by CodePen, and you should totally go pro on CodePen because there are many many features. 
Let me go through some of them. One of them is Live View. Live View is like you can take a, you know, you're editing a pen, you're writing code, you're watching it update, the live preview update. You can take a URL, send it over to your phone, send it to your tablet, send it over to a tab you have open in Edge or in Firefox. And still, as you type, it's live updating the preview in all those other browsers. You scroll the editor and all the rest of them come along for the ride. You click and that same thing is clicked on all the other devices. It really is keeping everything in sync. We call it Live View. You get that in Pro in Pro on CodePen. Asset hosting. Let's say you're working on a pen and you need an image because you just need images sometimes in web design. You open up the assets panel, drag and drop an image on there. It automatically uploads it, gives you the URL, and now you can use that image in your pen. Asset hosting, we call it. You get that on Pro. We have a mode called collab mode. Have you ever used Google Docs where it's like you get two cursors and people can, you know, you both type at the same time and it's happening? We use that same API in collab mode, but instead of collaborating on a document, you're collaborating on HTML and CSS and JavaScript. It's great for learning and working through problems together. People use it for interviewing candidates. It's great. Uh, let's say you like those embeds, those new editable embeds that I told you about at the top of the show, like take the CodePen editor and put it on your own site. Very cool. With Pro, you can you can add custom CSS to those and just style it absolutely any way you want to. You can kind of hide the header bar in the embed, so there's like no CodePen UI whatsoever. Unlimited themes, unlimited customizable CSS on those themes. It's great. We have professor mode as well, which is you type, other people watch. 100 people can watch you code live. It's great. There's a chat room in there too, so those hundred people are participating, asking you questions and stuff as you go. That you get on Pro. You can keep everything you want private on CodePen if you do this. You can, uh, uh, if you go Pro on CodePen, you can take a pen, make it private. It has this unfindable URL. You can still share it, but it's private. It doesn't show up on your profile. It doesn't show up in search. It doesn't show up in those type of places. It's private. Your pens are private. You can make collections private as well. Just, you know, it's a way that doesn't show show up on your profile and stuff. But what's cool about it is if you put private pens in a private collection, it makes those pens visible in that private collection. So for example, you can do, you know, you're doing some client work and you want to show them some things. You can put five private pens in a private collection, send them the private collection. They can kind of see them all at once, which is great. You can keep your posts private as well. Privacy, the complete package, you get it on CodePen Pro. You get all this other stuff too. That's only just some of the things you get on Pro. Uh, there is even more than that. Uh, uh, it's a pretty good deal. Upgrade to CodePen Pro. Yay. All right. Uh, next. Last uh, one. Okay. Last final question. We are. We are running out of time here. Ah, here we go. Okay. Patrick Kate Ritson. I hear a lot about the Heroku service these days in web development, including a lot of devs who talk about saying spinning up a Heroku instance for projects. Can you explain what the service is and what the benefits are to web developers? Kind of. I mean, Dave probably can do it better than I can, but it's a hosting service, but it's a hosting service that has the kind of dependencies ready to go that you need. So if you wanted to spin up a uh, a little tiny Ruby on Rails app, Heroku would be a good choice because it can kind of run that for you. You're not on your own to install Rails on the server and make sure that it runs properly. Heroku will kind of spin up with that kind of ready to go for you. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a it's really good at just you you chuck up files it does some things sort of like we were talking about with like 
gulp and npm and and all that um but it it's really good at running little commands to deploy a fully functioning website for you um and that means it, you don't need to do all the devops right you don't need to do the well i'm going to like spin up a rack space with ubuntu 14.0.1 and then i'm going to install these app get modules and you know like it takes all that off of you so you're just kind of you're pushing up code from the command line get push heroku master i'm pushing my master branch to heroku it's i love that api i like that way to interact with the service like with with the heroku software as a service um so i i really think it's it's a good uh i i I love it. And there are other things like um, digital ocean, right? They, they do kind of, they have a different way. They do kind of droplets that kind of do these things. Um, but yeah, the, I think there's a lot of, 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 uh, I don't know. I, I do. I get a lot of benefit out of these services, software as a service platforms uh, that abstract a lot of the DevOps work. I should be able mm-hmm. to, I would right. be able to like kind of handles deployment for you too, which is kind of yeah, great. And scaling is another thing. You talk a lot about scaling over at uh, sister podcast, code pen radio. Uh, but you know, I don't know how to do that stuff that Tim does. I, I'm not a Tim. So I need a service that will, will you're help willing to pay scale. for it too. Cause anybody yeah. will tell you that, you know, Heroku's kind of, it's priced it's accordingly. Yeah. And and I think everything is. I mean, Amazon itself gets more expensive as you scale up, but it it you know, if you are really good at this DevOps stuff and know how to squeeze out every CPU cycle, that's great. But if you're like me, it's like, well, I'm just going to offload that because it's cheaper than hiring somebody and it's cheaper, you know, than everything. So, it's really nice and they give you some charts some graphs some things you know tools there's there's people who use it and work on it that's really nice too so uh i that's what i like about these things so um if you yeah i, I just hello world it they have a thing you can just the, the, like walk through it and and there hello world that's the that's the advice you know whenever you're w- wondering super hard about something like this you know usually there's Especially with Heroku, how big they are and stuff. There's probably a pretty good walkthrough, pretty good tutorials you can find. And even if you'd end up not using it right now, it's kind of like, you know, it's good to have in the toolbox. Know when it's used for, what it does. You know, so if something comes wrong, you have a you have a scope of knowledge to draw from. Yeah, I mean, you can do like the whatever Rails blog in 15 minutes or something, or they have the the similar tutorial. But and then you like push it up to your some weird like like spooky mountain three, five, five, four, and you have your own server and, uh, and you, it's live on the internet. People could use it right now, but um, it's, it's always fun to do that. And if you can pair it to your current workflow of like either FTPing stuff or setting up some Capistrano thing to go to, you know, I don't AWS that then this is it's yeah. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll experience what it's like. And so you should do it. Lovely. Well, Chris, I think now's the time. We got a, we got a bit of do here, but uh, thanks everyone for listening, downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to star heart, favorite it up. We will be on, hopefully uh, if everything goes well on the Google play store real soon. So if you're using the new uh, Google play podcatcher, uh, rate us up there, give us a hundred stars or Google points, 
Um, that's how that's how we survive as a podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. Uh, be if you hate your job, have a shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. And Chris, you got anything else for us here? Shoptalkshow.com.